I'm Judy, compulsive overeater. And I want to thank Casey and anybody else that has to do this meeting, Dawn, and anybody else that is in service at this meeting. Um, I, uh, you know, when I speak, my heart beats really fast because I'm really excited and uh, nervous and my mouth gets all dry. And I think about how I, I was thinking on my way over here how, you know, this morning, like my heart's beating because I'm, I'm so happy and excited that I have been given a life because of this program. You know, the life I have is because of this program. And there's a great difference between that and when I was a kid in St. Pius X's school at age 10 years old, when I would feel the very same way on the day they were going to have a bake sale. And (laughs) I remember this bake sale like I remember, you know, what I ate for breakfast this morning. The day of the bake sale, I knew the bake sale was coming, and, and I, I would uh, behave myself because I had a tendency to get in trouble in school all the time. I got terrible grades. I hated school. I didn't see the point. I had more important things to think about. There was a lot going on at home. And I liked to have fun and get excited all the time. So I remember when they would have this bake sale, they were going to serve these little um, uh, food substances that I was obsessed with. And I would think, oh, please. And then they would call on you to go get your, your whatever you had the money to buy. But it was based on, like, how good you were. And so for, like, a month before the bake sale, I was, like, a stellar student. Yeah. You know, but, but when they would call my name, you know, <laughs> to go up for that food substance, my legs would get, like, wobbly. I could barely walk. You know, I was, like, almost, like, in a blackout just hoping I could get up to that food substance and then get back to my seat and somehow find a way to eat it in isolation, which was hard when you're in grade school with all these other people. (laughs) But, you know, when I think about my eating disorder, that same energy went towards food seeking. So I'm powerless over food. I'm powerless over weight. I'm powerless over restriction. I was anorexic. I weighed 89 I was bulimic, non-purge. I weighed 140, close to a little more than that. Uh, I was bulimic purge, um, so I threw up. So I had all, all the whole range of, of the eating disorders. And my, what I think about when I think about uh, this program, it, it has taught me the most important thing is it's taught me a relationship with food in my body and because I have a relationship and I apply the 12 steps and 12 traditions and 12 concepts to my food and my body it extends into my life which is which is a really great miracle um, you know I, I was thinking also how I, I went to one of our you know the program that started this program I went to a conference last year uh, this past year at this conference and my, I, I was with a woman that I sponsored early on uh, 31 years ago, and she had one of the women she sponsored at this conference. And the woman she's sponsoring now uh, was having, well, anyhow, I won't say it, but anyhow, we all stayed together and, and went to this conference together. And we went to this big, you know, they have this gathering, you know, where there were like thousands and thousands and thousands of people. And we didn't have seats. And so, you know, we stood up in the balcony and, and 
and look down to see like where's seats everybody's like oh no there's no way and if you don't get here two hours early there's no seats well there was the Russian section and people were like dancing and speaking Russian and I went up to them and I said can we sit do you have a seat and so we sat there during this conference with the in the Russian section and I think about what this program does when it comes to the world now, there's nothing in the program that says, you know, and the world's going to be involved. This program has, like, little to no, no hubris, really, no, no pride. It's about humility and showing up and taking the next indicated step. And, but I think about how all over the world, I, I went to Croatia and, and, and did my best to try to kind of bring in the 12 steps. But there's a lot of, you know, we don't deal with institutions outside politics, organizations, and all of that. But I have been, I, I took my daughter to China when they were flooding the gorges because I wanted her to see it before that. And uh, I was trying to find a meeting. I, they do have meetings there. I couldn't find it. So we, uh, I had meetings, um, like on the ship, and my daughter would have mercy meetings with me and my husband. You know? <laughs> But I would put a big sign up, you know, any friends of Bill W., please show up. Um, my husband and I have traveled quite a bit, and we do that. We were in, I don't know, we were in, uh, what was it, uh, the Grand Canyon once, and we put up a sign in our hotel, if you're a friend of Bill W.'s, you know, uh, please show up. And, you know, we've, we've met some beautiful people. We, in Hawaii, Tahiti, we had parties with people in the program. So what I'm saying is no matter where I go, I use the program. I don't take a day off. I came in in 1979. Right now I have 31 years of continuous abstinence. That's back to back, one day at a time. That's not like, that's not like a degree where, you know, go take courses, get a certificate. It's like one day at a time, showing up and doing the same thing everybody in this room has the capability of doing. You know, I... I uh, one day at a time, one minute at a time. But I came in in 1979, and, you know, I, I came out here. I graduated from Penn State. I decided my life was going to be different. Um, I got this degree. I came out here. I got the math teacher from high school to, to bring me out here in his Carmen Gia because I didn't have money. You know, I had like $100. I put an ad in the newspaper. This is in 79, you know, like you could... When I was young, I'm, I'm 64 this month, so when I was young, you could actually hitchhike, and it was kind of cool, you know. But uh, So, you know, I put the ad in, and his Carmen Gia, he brings me out to California at $100. I stayed with this woman in high school that sold vacuum sweepers. Uh, soon, <laughs> you know, got a job. Um, but when I think back to my childhood, you know, I, I think about how the... Step one, we're powerless over food. My life has become unmanageable, and that means my relationship with food my obsession with food, my compulsion around food. So if I look at step one and how, okay, so I'm back in Pennsylvania. I'm, uh, my mother gets remarried. We moved to Butler. What's my memory? Well, my memory are the buns we used to make. The, uh, I, I don't like to, because I know some meetings don't like to say what the food is, but, boy, I remember this food, like crack or something you know it was you know we made this food and I remember I remember having a spiritual awakening and I was like 14 when my mom moved to Butler right so you look at these moves in my life where I was gonna you know change and I swore off and I was gonna get it together and back then I, I ate these buns 
I remember thinking, you know, oh, I have to do something different with my life. I'm all bloated on these buns. I'm sitting here like a whale. It was snowing in Pennsylvania. So, of course, what did I do? I did what every mostly compulsive overeater does. I went on a strict diet, and I started running around in the snow like crazy. You know, <laughs> like a lunatic. And every neighbors were like, Judy's out there running in the snow. You know, and I'd be out there running, trying to lose weight. I remember, you know, you know, I was, uh, I was like, I was kind of pure, you know, a little backwards, conservative, right? So, you know, I had this boyfriend, Ray Heitzer, and, you know, we were going to get married, and I'm like, I'm like, you know, 19, and, and I think, oh, you know what happens when you get married? So I started wearing this girdle. You know, I had a girdle on because I thought, well, that'll help, you know, me start, like, losing some weight here. It, it didn't help. I was just, you know, restricted deeply. Big problems. Probably a lot of people in here don't even barely know what a girdle is because I'm 64. Anyhow, so I wore a girdle. Okay, so I move out here. I graduate from Penn State. Everything's going to be different, right? Come out here, and it's crazy. Everybody's like thin, and there's actors. So I, I look at these people, right? Some of my friends were like Playboy bunnies. I'm like, ooh, because I, I got married. I, as soon as I came out here, I met this guy, uh, made a little family because, you know, I'm, I'm, I was like pretty compulsive. <laughs> didn't take me long (laughs) came out here going to be different right I mean that's my point I you know going from those buns and and gaining all this weight and I came out here and people say oh you look like a hefty kind of cow from Pennsylvania and I think I do not want to look like a hefty cow so that's where all my friends taught me how to throw up and be anorexic right they taught me that and here I'm married and I have this little house in Manhattan Beach and my little family and I'm on diets again, and uh, and then and I'm on diets, and that's where the miracle happened. Because I'm on diets, you know, I quit my job to get into a different industry. Of course, you know, again, compulsivity. To me, that's the biggest part of the problem of this disease: the compulsive, obsessive preoccupation. If anything, that has been for me in the fourth step, six and seven. You know, the the the, the defects and the shortcomings. That's been the biggest problem for me. It's the preoccupation. You know, not being really present because why? Well, because later I'm going to use something, a food substance, a diet, a diuretic, a laxative, and all. And when I do that, then life will be great. Never happened. Never happened. Never happened that way. So I come out here, and you see, you know, I, I know I'm a compulsive overeater. I, I was, Jack Quigley wanted to marry me. All these guys wanted to marry me when I was young, I, I, you know, because I seemed so stable. <laughs> yeah. You know, Jack Quigley once came for Christmas, and we got in a big fight because he was eating my mother's green icing cookings. She had these cookies, right? And I got in a big fight with him. You know, do not eat my mother's green icing cookies. They are mine. You know, like an insane person. You'd think the guy stole my car. But look at that relationship with food, right? Look at it. So I move out here. I have this little family. Now I'm anorexic, right? And I'm throwing up like crazy. And I'm hoping to get into the new business. And this wonderful woman that I know you, some people in here remember her, 1979. Her name was Gloria G said to me, what are you doing at night? And I thought, because I was in this new business, and she would be like, sort of like a boss, right? I said, well, you know, uh, just like reading, stuff like that. 
And she said, no, I think you're doing something else. <laughs> and I said, well, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm throwing up. And, uh, you know, uh, you know, like I go to like a bakery and get a pie and then I get a half gallon of ice cream and then I go get some cookies and then I go get some soda, which really helps. And then I jump around for a long time and then I throw up and then, you know, get on with my day. So, <laughs> you know. And she said, you need help. She said, let me, let me take you to, to Overeaters Anonymous. And so I came into Overeaters Anonymous, and I, I was so offended. She took me to a sundowner's meeting, and I thought, oh, God, Lonely Hearts Club band. I don't want to belong. So anyhow, you know, I did not surrender. What can I say? I didn't. You know, I kind of came to OA, and I thought maybe I'll get a job there. You know, maybe someone give me a job because I'm just so amazing. <laughs> and people would just look at me with this, like, kind of pity. You know, like compassion and mercy. And I think, uh-oh, you know, I am in trouble. Anyhow, I started working the steps. But the problem was I drank Sauterne while I was reading the big book. And I would <laughs> and I would wake up the next morning. I think I missed a lot in this book. And there's Sauterne everywhere. So what happened, fast forward, I ended up getting sober. So now, you know, I'm sober 31 years. I'm abstinent 31 years, a 36-stepper. Uh, 31 years and my life has changed so much I surrendered you know that's the that, that's the deal here you know that my surrender wasn't like life or death I, I've been I was in the hospital a few times but that that the fear never really got me abstinent what got me abstinent was that the, the incomprehensible demoralization of knowing that my life was about food seeking substance seeking and so when I came in 31 years ago for real because by the way if you ever saw me before that it wasn't the truth because I would stop by once a year and take a chip and tell everybody guess what I'm doing it without the program look at me I'm a poster child I was a nutcase I wasn't a poster child I was lying to myself and so the, the good news about the four step is you know when I do the four columns and even the fifth, when I look at, like, what would I do differently? What's my part? What are my defects of character? Willfulness, control, denial, uh, inability to take responsibility. These are my defects of character. But with a program, those defects become transformative. So here I am, you know, in six and seven, after the fourth step, and I work the step still. I have a sponsor. I've had a sponsor this whole time. I have commitments. I've had commitments all this time um, because I don't, I just want to do it. I want to keep it simple. I want to go by the book. I have an education. I don't use that in the program. I use the literature. That's what I use. Every morning, I read the literature. All these years, I read the literature with the people I sponsor. We read the literature. I don't do anything. Hey, I know. I'll come up with another fancy idea. And I'll add something on. You know, it's like, it's like a salad plus a hamburger on the side. <laughs> so six and seven, what it does is it gives me a chance to really look at my defects when, you know, like, okay, so I get married. I get married five minutes. You know, I get married to my ex-husband in, in Pennsylvania, and I think about that honeymoon and how, you know, I first of all, um, it was, wasn't pretty because I, you know, had shrimp cocktail sauce everywhere. And that didn't work out. I mean, it wasn't really attractive, you know, because that's what I was thinking of. And I was thinking of the cake. 
and I got in a fight with everyone that wanted cake. It's not what you do at your wedding reception, but that's... <laughs> so fast forward, you know, here I am. I'm, I'm abstinent and sober. In the first six years, I was pretty, I was pretty broken. You know, I, I needed that. I needed that uh, to, to learn humility. I really did. You know, I, I remember uh, when I came in, I, I was having a heck of a time getting a job. And I thought, and this is six and seven, by the way. This is what was required in six and seven to get my attention. You know, I, I had a highly educated, magna cum laude. You would think I could get a job. I went to the, uh, the Santa Monica, one of those newspapers, to deliver newspapers in the morning. They wouldn't hire me. I was, I was like, I, I, so, so I, went, I, I finished what I came out here to do, and I went back to school. My sponsor said, go back to school. Remember why you came out here? Do it. And I went back to school, and as a result, I have had a relationship with my business that I love. All these years, I'm self-employed. I have not, to this day, you know, knock wood wherever it is, and it's going to happen anyhow because I'm getting 64 and older, but I haven't had a sick day. In all these years, I haven't had a sick day. I've turned up to work. You know, my, grad, my daughter graduates from college. I took her to China. She got married. I had the wherewithal to, have, to be able to uh, have a wedding with her, with her, her, her father. Uh, I had a party uh, last month, and I had 24 family members at the party. You know, my ex-husband, his wife, her husband, his mother. You know, um, I have two, two, I married my husband. We, after six years of, you know, the program, I met him in, in a meeting. And uh, he, he said, oh, you went go out on a date. And, and I said, yes, I'm, because my sponsor told me to say this. You know, I said, yes, I'm dating many people right now. <laughs> and, uh, you know, because I was just dating, right? That's all I could do. And, and he, he said, well, will you just date me? And I said, well, if, if you want marriage and children, because I, I got that, a, a daughter. And he said, yeah, and he had these two boys, you know. And uh, so we got married. And, <laughs> and, you know, like we've gone to this married couples retreat. Father Terry Ritchie used to do it. Now uh, we still see him sometimes. But he's, he's a, yeah, he was a blessing. Uh, yeah, Monsignor Terry Ritchie uh, quite a blessing in this program um so you know we we have when we went to father terry and we were going to get married he said uh marriage is about community and that's what my life is about my life is about community that's what my life is about and and what a gift right so you know fast forward i know how to have community i know how to be inclusive i know how to let go of resentments uh, we've had life on life's terms for all these years, but the miracle is I get up every day, I get down on my knees every day. You know, I meditate every day, I pray every day, I do a little bit of writing every day, I make outreach calls every day, I receive calls every day. I started a meeting eight years ago now, it's over on Ocean Park and uh, it's at the Mount Olive Church on Saturdays. I started that meeting like eight years ago, you know, and I, I'm just starting another another different meeting. But I started that meeting eight years ago, and this is how how it works and how the rest of my life has worked. Um, I started the meeting, and I, it was total mercy meeting. I would have like one person show up, 
or two for about a year, and I would go home. My husband would say, how'd the meeting go? And I'd be like, well, I showed up. And then I'd cry, you know, oh, I felt so terrible because <laughs> I, I wanted more people to show up. Now that little meeting, like eight years later, has a whole bunch of people in it every week, and I don't have anything to do with it. It just worked. Lastly, I had a hope and a dream. For 20 years, I applied for something that I had a hope and a dream because I'm present and I can take rejection because I just work the steps on it and talk to my sponsor, do 12-step work, turn up. And this year, they accepted me. And 20 years of being rejected. It's all good. I think that's it. Okay, this is the time for questions only. There is no sharing at this meeting. If you need to share, please do so with any one of us after the meeting. Also, please remember that the opinions of the leader are my own and not those of Overeaters Anonymous as a whole. When asking questions, you need not identify yourself. Please remember, if you ask a question, your voice may be audible on the OA podcast. If being recorded, please restate the question after it is asked. That's me. Okay. Uh, the question is, if I, in the past, or do I ever now send my uh, food to my sponsor on a daily basis? And the answer is, at different times, yes. Anytime a food starts, uh, anytime there's a, a food substance that I start uh, thinking about too much, which borders obsession, or uh, isn't working anymore, or if I'm going to change my abstinence, I have a commitment with my sponsor that I will call her and I will talk to her uh, before I do that and so you know I've had a couple times like when I was in Korea where you know because there's a big time difference like it's tomorrow in Korea here and so especially like if I'd travel or do things where I could have been maybe or it was a real highly emotional thing I would call my sponsor and call my food in and I've done that periodically, some, sometimes for months, sometimes for years, sometimes not, because uh, for me, I, I, I have part of the disease for me was I would get like in denial and be blindsided, and that's why I have 31 years and came in such a long time ago, and I would pick up a food substance, and it's the first bite that starts the obsession. So. Yes, I have at times called my food in. I think the last time I did it was about or, uh, maybe nine months ago. I did it for a few months until my sponsor and I decide that my abstinence is stable enough that I'm going to keep it that way and I'm not going to change anything up. So nothing's going to change up. Yeah. Thank you so much for your share. Do you have a concept of a higher power? And if you do, how do you exit it? Uh, do I have a concept of a higher power, and if I do, how do I access it? Well, I do have a concept of my higher power, and it's changed greatly over the 31 years that I've been actually in the program for real. And when I first came in, I kind of had like uh, my higher power was this uh, entity that was going to give me all my dreams come true. And then I had a wish list, which now I see in retrospect was a demand list. 
And then when my demands didn't come true, you know, like I wanted my father to stay alive and not have cancer, and that didn't happen, you know. So I would say, oh, well, if my father doesn't stay alive, God, then I'm not going to, you know, I, whatever, I'll act out or something, do something, you know. Well, he didn't stay alive. You know, a few things happened. My best friend didn't stay alive. And But what I realized, my concept of a higher power is that no matter what happens in life, no matter what happens, it's how I deal with it, not what happens. It's how I deal with it. And the faith part to me is the critical part. That throughout it all, even when I was mad with God for, for not meeting my demands, really, I always had faith. I always showed up. I didn't stop. I came back to you. And to me, there's, you know, there's so much, there's so much, uh, that's my concept of a higher power is a, an, a, a, an entity that I can talk to. I talk to my higher power. Like, especially if I, you know, we have some things going on in our life where there's, you know, family politics and, so what I do at night, like if I wake up, I, I, I have turned worry into prayer. I decided all my worries prayer because if I were in a residency for, to get you know become a, a physician or something, people say, "Oh, you're up all night. That's so impressive. While wow, you're getting your doctorate, you know." I figure if I'm awake, that's okay. But what I do is I say, "God, talk to me. Talk to me. Let let me listen." I I, I uh, say, "God, teach me safely. Don't don't knock me over the head with a board like I needed most of my life. I would need to get hit in the head with a board, and then I'd be like Steve Martin in that film where he says, "Give me a sign," and you know the picture starts to wag, and the fireplace falls down on him, and and, and Steve Martin says, "Give me a sign." Well, well then give me a sign. That's kind of how I was. So now I say, "Please God, tell me, I, give me, give me some, give me some guidance," and you know, I, and I get it. I get it. So, you know, I have a very strong connection with my higher power. And the evidence, you know, I love the evidence of a higher power because it's everywhere. It's always everywhere if I'm open to it. I was in Pennsylvania once and it was terrible. I had this cab driver take, I said, I, take me to a meeting. And I thought, oh, he was driving so terribly. I thought, this is the end of my life. So on the 4th of July, I thought, I'm not going to make it out of this cab. And I, I was going to a meeting, but I didn't tell him that. I said, I'm going to a church, and I have to go to church. And he's like, oh, church, that's really great. And, but, but I was actually going to a meeting, you know. And then uh, he said, well, maybe I'll go to church with you. And I said, <laughs> I said I'm sorry to say this. I, I, I hate that. I'm sorry I did, wasn't completely honest with you, but I'm going to a 12-step meeting. He said, oh, I hate those 12-step meetings. They're terrible. I used to be in them. They didn't work, you know. And. And then he, 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 you know, and then, uh, and and then he, he quit. And I said, well, you know, that's where I'm going. And then he came, he came with me to twelve step meeting. We sat there at the meeting. Oh, he gave me so many tips on the way home back to the hotel. <laughs> and and you know, his big tip was believe in God, have faith. I said, you know, sir, I think this is this is God God in the works. Me and you here in this cab. To me, that's God, right? Anyhow. Thank you very much. Um, uh, could you talk about your relationship to the literature? When you first came in, you talked about reading literature in the morning. What do you read? Um, and, how, and sort of tied in with that, do you, take, do you use the literature with Spontees? I assume the big book, but how do you work the steps with Spontees? How do I work the steps with Spontees? What's my relationship to literature? Uh, somebody in this room is a Spontee. 
Uh, see all that over there? I use mainly see that 12 steps and 12 traditions at Brown Books. Uh, for today, I've done myself and used that. Um, I use the Big Books of Alcoholics Anonymous, which is that little blue book. I really love the 12 steps of Alcoholics Anonymous because it talks about a lot about, you know, our woes. You know, compulsive reader, isolation and dwelling and woes, that's, that's my big defect, you know. Look like I'm an extrovert and go home and binge and st- or starve and stay, you know, isolated forever. So in the beginning, I, I had... I had little. I, I had a job, and I had my daily reflections. I had three of them, which for up until uh, December, I read these every day, and I wrote down what was happening every day in in, the, in these little you know reflections books. And so I read them every day, and I would say you know say great things. This person graduated. This grandkid was born. This terrible thing happened. And but then this year, I thought, and so these books, you know, every day I would read them. But, but there were so many memories, I thought, you know, this year has been a year of change for me beyond, beyond comprehension. Like, like, almost like I've had to change my identity. And, I, and my sponsor told me to stop reading them every morning. She said, it's too much memory. Let it go. And I'm like, 31 years of things written on it, you know. And she said, let it, let it go. And this year has been a year of letting go. I, I have, I work that I use, I use everything. Like, there's a, I, I, I don't want to across different programs so much, but we work the steps based on the steps and the traditions and the concepts. I've I've sponsored a woman in San Diego for 28 years, and we're doing the concepts in uh, another... She's in OA, but we're using other literature to work the concepts of the program because I don't want to ever get a good, bad idea. And I, I'm capable of that, you know. Like, I know there's a new age way of psychologically shaping myself up and I won't have an eating disorder anymore or something like that. I never want to do that. So I use the literature. I keep it simple. Thank you. Um, so you mentioned six and seven a lot. And I'm thinking, can you um, maybe talk about a specific subject you think that has come up recently that you use six and seven to kind of help Oh, man. What a question. I, I talked about six and seven a lot. And can I talk about uh, how I used six and seven recently? To relieve a specific character defect. Sometimes with me, uh, yeah, yeah, it's been very intense in six and seven. Because... Um, How can I say this? It almost makes me want to sit down. But uh, when I used to compulsively overeat, I was always thinking about good things. I had a fantasy world. I was always going to be, you know, when I'd compulsively overeat, I would always think I'm thin, I'm smart, I'm beautiful. And as soon as I'd stop compulsively overeating, the reality would come. You know, like I'd look and I'd have this big belly, you know, and I wasn't as smart as I wanted to be. Trivial Pursuit was a nightmare for me. And, uh, but, but the compulsive of reading, my intention was always good. But sometimes my defect is, th- is to think things are better than they really are. And sometimes that's my defect. You know, denial. Uh, fantasy. So what I've had to apply recently when it comes to the defect is telling myself the truth in a deeper way. 
and reconciling that with some of the people in my life. Uh, not accepting the unacceptable. You know, as a compulsive reader, I could take a lot of hits. As I get older, I'm becoming more vulnerable, and I can't. I just can't. So surrendering me and this seeming ability I have to be strong and get through it and, you know, surrendering that, it's helped. I've done a lot of work with my sponsor on that recently, so it's helped. Uh, tell us what changes have occurred in your life with your higher power before program and after program. Oh, before program. How has my life changed with my higher power before program and after program? Well, before program, I was very ritualistic with my higher power. When I thought my higher power was, it was designed to control you, and, and then I would, again, have demands with my higher power. Like as a kid, I used to have, I used to paint, I, I've painted as a hobby. It's not my profession. So, you know, I used to paint pictures of a religious figure that would have eyes that would watch my parents all over the house. So, so but this was a form of God for me. So God would shape people up. So I really believed. I had, again, kind of like that same defect, like good things. I, I want good things to happen. So God do this well I mean come on I live I, I live in this world right and so as I've been abstinent all this time as I've been abstinent all this time I've had to take some big hits in life some things happening you know to family members and kids and the world and politics and things changing and learning how to use a computer I mean that was a big one for me you know and I'm really tech savvy now I must say pretty proud of myself mm-hmm. got an xbox all that uh, um, but so my higher power has become more right-sized and that's what that's basically you know like the traditions talk about you know we're self-supportive through our own contributions it doesn't mean I come in here right-sized it's, it's like more in the traditions that part my higher power keeps me right-sized it's like I have a part and that's it I love that I have a part. That's what my, my relationship with my higher power has given me, the ability to know. I get a part. Like, if we're all going to vote, do we want the air conditioner up? I don't get, like, two votes. I get one vote. Always. One vote. That's how it's changed. More right-sized. More humility. Thank you. To go back to the previous question um, regarding your character defect or defects, um, when you say you surrender... And you work with your sponsor. Can you talk more specifically about what that means? What you do? Oh, that means I do 10 steps. I do a daily 10 step, you know. Uh, And then, you know, I make amends whenever possible, as soon as possible. I pray and meditate. Um, But doing with my sponsor, what I do is I I call her. She usually says, I want you to write inventory. I go back to the fourth step. I do four columns, you know, who I resent, my part, what it affects, you know, my insecurity, my security or my self-esteem. Um, also, we think about, you know, what, what can I do differently? How, how can I change that? And then we come up with a plan of action. And I also wanted to say this. This is attraction, not promotion. It is a desire to stop, stop eating compulsively or being anorexic or anything else. Nothing different. It's attraction, not promotion. So my sponsor and I work together. My sponsor didn't tell me, now you must do this or you are out of the program and I'm firing you. We look at each other with integrity and dignity and we come up with an action plan and that's what we did recently. You know, I, I had to make an amends recently and, 
and I'm continuing in that process of making an amends uh, to make things uh, to make things right as per you know all the traditions and concepts and uh, that's how I do it. I write inventory, call my sponsor, we come up with an action plan, I take that action, I report in. That's how that works. Grandparenting. Could I talk about grandparenting? Oh my goodness gracious. What a what a different stage of life. You know, I, I have this little five and six year old that uh in the family that moved close to me most recently and um oh. you know, again I have to make a decision about what's my role. You know, I had dreams of I had an image like my mom had a, 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 I don't know, it's named like a foot, treasure chest or something. There's a name for it and I've forgotten it. But, you know, she collected stuff all, all my life. And when I got married, I used that stuff. And I still do. I use her pots and pans. But I came from this very conservative kind of how it was supposed to be. And the world has changed. So grandparenting, I, I have my role. I try to keep my role. Um, I try to accept when my role is something I completely don't understand. Um, but I must say, it's like, you know, I got the Michael Jackson, I know he's controversial a little bit, but the Xbox dance thing, and I dance with my grandchildren a lot. And they they came in last week. I, I built a granny room. Talk about expectations. <laughs> I built a granny room. I bought this really cool rug, you know, and my little grandson sits in it. And he's like, man, Judy, this is like the best rug. And these kids, like the little, the one, the one grandchildren, because there's, there's six of them, the ones are just, they're so appreciative. You know, they're like, Nana Judy, how did you make this sauce? This is the best sauce in the whole world. And I love it. But what it does is it makes me have to discipline myself. Because Why? expectations, demand, my will, control, manipulation, how it should be. You know, it's like one of my dreams is to later on in life when I'm like 90, if I make it, to teach cursive writing. You know, because I don't understand that. How are they going to read the Lincoln letters at the Huntington, you know? But it's not my job to go on a tear right now and make everyone cursively write when they're five. I hope that gives an idea of my grandmothering. I'm done? Thank you. Thank you.